You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Hello. All right. So, brothers and sisters, thank you for having me. I'm really thankful to be here to come and preach this morning. Uh, thankful for Pastor Peter for the invitation. Now, uh, you guys are blessed to have Pastor Peter in the church. Uh, I just got to say, uh, P- uh, Peter mentioned how I was growing up in high school. Uh, he was my youth pastor. One thing about Pastor Peter that really made an impression on me, he was very influential to my life. And one thing that Pastor Peter helped me to uh, see in the Christian faith was it's cool to be holy. It's cool to be holy. Uh, let me just give you an example. I remember uh, in high school, you know, like you, everyone back then, it's all about, you know, being thug, being hardcore or something. And here you had this youth pastor who was super unique in his own way, right? And he would just say to you, what, Alex, you like to listen to that pagan stuff, Tupac? You like all that gangster rap more than vineyard praise? That's lame, bro. That's so lame. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, good point. Or like, um, what, you burn CDs? Instead of pay 15 bucks legit to buy your CDs? That's so lame, bro. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's lame. All that to say, Pastor Peter helped me to see, man, being holy is a good thing. Being a Christian, living out your faith is a good thing. As a high schooler, it was important for me to see that. So high school, you guys are blessed. CCCTO, you guys are blessed. With that said, today uh, I've been assigned to pastor, uh, Acts chapter 18. I'm excited to preach this passage because it's a good passage. This is uh, not as exciting as the next passage you guys will see next week. But uh, this is uh, a good passage nevertheless. All right, so Acts chapter 18, verse 18 to 28. Now, we're going to see in this passage, let me give us an example to begin. We're going to see two parts in this passage, 18 to 23, Paul's pastoral burden. The Apostle Paul, his pastoral burden for people. In the second part, verse 24 to 28, we're going to see Apollos. Apollos, and he was a man who was gifted and trained. Gifted and trained. Both are needed to be effective in the ministry, to be gifted and trained. We're going to see these two parts. First, we're going to see Paul's pastoral burden. Now, why should we care about this part? All right, so when I was a uh, uh, pastor in my last church, I remember uh, there was this huge emphasis on coming up with a great ministry plan, a ministry plan. Man, you've got to come up with such a great ministry plan. It's like better than all the business plans out there. Okay, a ministry plan, exactly, this is what you're going to do to accomplish, this is what you want to accomplish. Having a ministry vet plan and vision is really good, very needed, and here we're going to see Paul's ministry plan laid out, all right, in this passage, it coming up, and we're going to see Paul's ministry plan is simple, but it's so comprehensive, and it's so accurate, okay? We're going to see two phases, two waves to Paul's ministry plan, okay, wave one, which is evangelize the lost. Evangelize the lost. Wave two, strengthen the disciples. Simply put, 
comprehensive. Everyone is covered. No one is left out. Okay? That's Paul's ministry plan. So for me, I was like, like getting headaches, trying to come up with the master ministry plan, the best one out there. Paul's ministry plan. Evangelize the lost. Strengthen the disciples. No one is left out. Everyone is ministered to. This is comprehensive. Are right, we going to see this? In other words, if Paul walked into any city, Peter, Pastor Peter walks into this church building, for everyone to be ministered to, comprehensive ministry, two things. Evangelize the lost, strengthen the disciples. Everyone is covered. Okay? Let's see. First, we're going to see Paul, the first phase, and it has to do with this, the lost. The lost need Christ. Lost. The lost need Christ. And so Paul, phase one, evangelized the lost. Look with me at verse 19. So it begins at verse 18. We're going to look at verse 19. They came to Ephesus. This is Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila. Right? They came to Ephesus. Ephesus is going to be a very important place. Yeah, Ephesus is uh, uh, Paul. He was finishing up his second missionary journey. He's beginning his third missionary journey. And Paul, he's going to spend three years in Ephesus to evangelize the lost, to strengthen the disciples, to build up a strong church in Ephesus. Okay? So Ephesus is going to be a very crucial location for Paul's ministry. Okay? So verse 19, they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Paul left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. He left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Okay, so what's going on here, brothers and sisters? What's going on is Paul came to Ephesus, and Paul immediately left Ephesus. And he intends to come back to Ephesus. Again, the three-year thing. He came to Ephesus, he left Ephesus, and he intends to come back to Ephesus. But we're going to see something very interesting right here. All right, so... Before Paul left Ephesus, he made sure he did something before he left. He made sure before he left Ephesus, he did something. It's in verse uh, 19. It says, he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. It's kind of awkward. Awkward sequence. He came, he left, he would come back. But before he left, he, would, he made sure to, to hit up the synagogue first to make a visit to the synagogue first, to evangelize those in the synagogue. Why? Why this awkward sequence? Why this awkward sequence of coming, going, coming back, but before going, going to the synagogue first, and he wasn't going to stay. He was just doing a drive. He was just, just passing by, preach the gospel, evangelize the lost, and leave without staying. Okay, so I was reading up a commentaries. One commentary writer said this, and some people believe this. He said, the reason why, the reason for this awkward sequence for the Apostle Paul was because, actually, the Apostle Paul didn't actually do this. This was actually a later edition, okay? Luke wrote Acts. Someone else later on in history came and added verse 19 and uh, 20. So, actually, it's just, Paul came to Ephesus, he left Ephesus. 
There was no this in-between part of Paul came to Ephesus, he, he left Priscilla and Kenan, he preached the gospel, and he left and he came back. Someone included that because they wanted to make it seem like Paul was the first one to preach the gospel in Ephesus. It's like a priority thing. Okay, no, 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 that's not true. We know, we know. Next chapter 19, there was already a church there. Okay, actually, more likely, this is what happened, all right? So there's this scholar named I. Howard Marshall, he wrote this. There could be no doubt that Paul did visit Ephesus at this time, and it is highly unlikely he would not have get to cease the opportunity for evangelism. Cease the opportunity for evangelism. In other words, Paul wanted to evangelize the lost. Paul was there in Ephesus. There were lost ones there in Ephesus. So Paul ceased that opportunity. Paul had the chance to evangelize the lost, and he wasn't going to let that go. In other words, for him, reaching, evangelizing the lost, if the lost were there and he was there, evangelizing the lost, that was too much to pass up on. That was irresistible. Okay, uh, think about it this way. Romans 9, very, very important passage of Scripture. says, Paul says, I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish that my fellow Jews, my kindred in the faith are cut off from Christ. Unceasing anguish. What he's saying is my heart is in pain ceaselessly, unendingly, because my fellow Jews are cut off from Christ. So here, Paul, he went to Ephesus. He, he was going to leave Ephesus, but he had to go to the synagogue because he wanted to evangelize the lost. How was his pastoral burden? Right, that was pastoral burden. Okay? So that's phase one, Paul's pastoral burden, his ministry plan. If there are lost there, evangelize the lost. Okay? Let's look at uh, phase two. Okay? Phase one, evangelize the lost. Phase two, strengthen the disciples. Okay? Strengthen the disciples. Look with me at, uh, at verse 23, please. And in other words, this, this passage, what it means is simply this. Christians need to be strengthened. Christians, brothers and sisters, as we sit here this morning, recognize that we need to be strengthened. We need to be strengthened. Okay, Paul recognized this. So his pastoral burden was to strengthen the disciples. Strengthen the disciples. Look with me at verse 23. Okay, and it says, When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next, through the, through the region of Galatia and Prisia, strengthening all the disciples. Okay? In other words, brothers and sisters, in Paul's mind, as an apostle and as a pastoral leader, Christians getting saved is not enough. To be saved is not enough. Okay? To be, to be saved is not enough. Christians need to be strengthened. Christians need to be strengthened. So Paul went from one place to the next, from one church, from one house to the next, strengthening the, the Christians. Okay? He evangelized the lost, and he strengthened the disciples. That's Paul's ministry strategy laid out here. So, and everyone is covered. It's comprehensive. So my question is this, brothers and sisters, as we sit here thinking, man, Apostle Paul really cared about strengthening Christians. CCCTO, you guys need to be strengthened. 
Okay? This is not a criticism. This is a reality. Christians need to be strengthened always, constantly. Okay? Question is how? How? How do we get strengthened? How do we grow as a Christian? How do we become stronger as Christians? Right? In other words, what did Paul do to strengthen Christians? What did Paul do to strengthen Christians? Uh, It doesn't say in this passage, but Paul tells us outside in his letters what he did with churches. First, uh, I'm just going to read it first, 2 Timothy 3. I think a lot of us know this passage well. 2 Timothy 3, right, um, uh, verse 16. All scripture breathed out by God profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, brothers and sisters, we all need to grow in Christ. Scriptures, all Scripture, the Bible, breathed out by God, given to us, trains us up in righteousness. We need to grow. The Bible trains us up. In righteousness, all scripture breathed out by God is profitable. Uh, Colossians 1, this is Paul's talk summarizing his pastoral uh, 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 purpose, his pastoral ambition. He said this in Colossians 1, verse 28 Him we proclaim, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. Mature. Maturity. Having grown up. Okay, in other words, the goal for the Apostle Paul when it came to the church he ministered to was maturity. The goal for your pastors and elders, CCCTO, for this church is maturity. Maturity in Christ. To grow, to be a strong church to be strengthened Christians. That's the goal. And how did Paul accomplish this goal? He says, how to accomplish the goal of maturity in Christ? It says he warned everyone. He taught everyone, warning everyone, teaching everyone, so he can present everyone mature in Christ. Paul was a teacher of God's word because God's word trained people up into righteousness. Right? Uh, let me ask this question. Uh, Pastor Peter, baby Bruce Lee, um, what does baby Bruce Lee do when he's super, super hungry? All right. Baby Bruce Lee cries when he's super, super hungry. Okay? Imagine that face of a baby who's really, really hungry. Imagine that face. Crying, whining, right? A crying, whining baby. That's what babies do when they are really, really hungry. With that picture in mind, look with, uh, listen to 1 Peter chapter 2. This is talk about how Christians grow. Like newborn infants, crave, long for the pure spiritual milk, which is God's word. Like that whining baby, long for pure spiritual milk, long for God's word so that by it you will grow up in salvation. Man, what the Apostle Peter is telling us is, man, you got to be like that whining baby if you want to grow. Apostle Paul was a teaching, 
He was a Bible teaching pastor because the Bible is profitable and it trains us, it helps us grow, it makes us strong. Right? So this was Paul's pastoral burden. Okay? This was comprehensive ministry and this was pinpoint accurate. Okay? Evangelize the lost, strengthen the disciples. Everyone is covered. Okay? That's verse 18 to 23. Now let me draw a few implications from this for us. All right? For one, brothers and sisters, the Christian life never ends. The Christian life never stops, okay? What I mean is this. The Christian life, uh, there's an initial need, which is to come to Christ, which is Paul evangelized the lost. There's that initial need. We need Christ. The lost need Christ. The initial need is to come to Christ, right? And then the immediate, continual need after is to be strengthened in Christ, Brothers and sisters, I think too often we're, we're too uh, ready to be saved, become a Christian, and say we're good. We're just going to coast all the way to heaven. No, no, no. That's not, that's not the Christian life. Right? The Christian life is come to Christ and then be strengthened in Christ. We all need to be strengthened According to Pastor Paul, uh, Apostle Paul, that was his ministry plan because that is our ministry need. That is our need. We need to come to Christ and we'll be strengthened. Okay? Um, a good way to say this is, uh, I'm going to use a couple big words, justification, sanctification. You guys heard that, right? Uh, justification is to be declared righteous, to become a Christian. And the immediate evidence, immediate result of justification is sanctification. We grow in Christ. Right? Justification needs to result in sanctification because sanctification is the evidence that justification happened. Okay, others say we need to grow. We need to always be growing. We need to grow. Right? Let me, uh, I'll just, uh, let, me, uh, let me just add one more implication. And this is exactly tied to what I just mentioned, but let me just mention this, all right? From 18 to 23, if we look at it, there, it talks about the Apostle Paul a lot, but it also talks about two other people. Priscilla and Aquila, okay? Priscilla and Aquila, verse 18. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm not saying this because Pastor Peter asked me to say this. I'm saying this because um, from experience, I, I knew I needed this. And just, uh, you know, just, this, this past, uh, the, the scriptures kind of tell us this is important. All right, your pastors need friends. All right, Pastor Peter needs some really good friends here, Okay? And we know this. Yeah, I'm not saying, he didn't ask me to, you know, like, come help him make friends. But uh, I'm just saying, Pastor Peter needs friends. Your pastors, your elders, they, they, need, they need friends. They need good coworkers. And we can see this from these two people, Priscilla and Aquila. All right? Romans 16, Paul talks about them. In verse 3, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila. Prisca is just another way to say Priscilla. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, listen to this, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Man, they risked their necks for Paul. Paul was the greatest evangelist, greatest church planter, great apostle, and yet for him, he said, I, my friends, Prisca and Aquila, they risked their necks for me. Guys, again, I'm not saying this because Pastor Peter is actually one of the most positive dudes. He's encouraging. He's like, pastors can be pretty somber dudes. He's positive. 
But I'm just going to say this, you know, this is an encouragement because I'm a guest speaker. I can say stuff, right? Man, you know, um, uh, 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 pastors take hits all the time. They take hits all the time. And eventually just wears you down. Man, pastors need friends like Priscilla and Aquila, who every once in a while are willing to step in and take a hit for their pastors. Like Priscilla and Aquila, who are really willing to risk their necks for their pastors every once in a while. Because, man, it's, that's, that's just reality in church ministry. So, so uh, don't, don't persecute Pastor Peter. I say, hey, why'd you... Why'd you make him say that? No, he didn't make you say that, right? That's just experience. All right, so Priscilla and Aquila, they were good friends to Paul. He needed them, okay? Pastors who are alone without good friends like these, pastors who are alone are the ones who, who drown, who get buried, right, and they burn out. All right. So that's uh, 18 to 23, right? Paul's pastoral burden, Paul's pastoral burden, uh, uh, evangelize the lost, strengthen the disciples. Everyone is covered comprehensively, right? Everyone is, is, is ministered to. Now, we're going to finish up with Apollos, verse 24 to 28. We're going to see Apollos, verse 24 to 28. Apollos was, I would say, the total package. He was gifted and trained. He was extremely gifted, ex- and he was well-trained, well-trained. All right, um, how many of you guys like the Lakers? All right, so you guys like the Lakers. It's been a disappointing few years. And uh, I think as, as Laker fans, we've been spoiled because we had Kobe for the past 20 years. And he, Kobe is a total package. He can, he can play inside. He can play outside. He's, he's, uh, he's mentally tough. He's determined. He's ambitious. He's, he's like the total package. He, he has it all. He can shoot. He can drive. He can, he can pass sometimes. You know, he can, he, can, he, can do, he can defend, right? Kobe is the total package. He has it all. He's a total package. And now we look at these rookies. We're like, you know, this guy, he has this, but he doesn't have this. Dude, this guy, he can do this, but he can't do this. We've been spoiled. We have Kobe, who's a total package. Apollos was a total package. We're going to see in this passage, verse 24, 28, Apollos, he was like the Kobe Bryant back then. He was the total package, okay? We're going to see first he was extremely gifted. He was extremely gifted. He was a total package. All right, first, look with me at at verse 24, please. It says, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. All right, don't overlook that part. Luke included that description in there for a reason. He was a native of Alexandria. Alexandria. Okay, Alexandria is a place that was renowned for scholarship. Okay, I was reading up on Alexandria, the city, uh, and just historical background. And as I was reading up, I used to pastor a church in Arcadia, right? Super academically, you know, ambitious place. I was reading up on Alexandria. I'm like, this sounds like a place Asian parents would have raised their kids in. Like... Like, this is, a, this is like, a, like, a, like a geek place, right? This is a nerd place. This is straight up scholarship, straight up, it, it was just known for being so education, educationally strong, right? So he was, he was a native of Alexandria. Alexandria is known for its great library of Alexandria. You guys might also uh, heard of the Septuagint, right? The, the translation, the Greek translation of Hebrew text happened in Alexandria. And just look at the timeline. And knowing that Apollos was this educated man in, in doctrine and theology, 
there's a chance that Alexand- uh, uh, Apollo studied under the great Philo of Alexandria. There's a chance, right? In other words, to say that Apollos was from Alexandria, he was educated in Alexandria. Oh, man, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's like, dude, this guy, this guy came from the best education place. This guy had the best education. He's from Alexandria, right? I see people wearing straight out of Compton, right? You go, oh, oh, man, that guy's making, that guy, you know. This guy was from Alexandria. Oh, man, oh, man, all right? Now, look, let's go on. You could tell Luke was real interested in this guy, Apollos. He goes on to describe Apollos. He says he was a native of Alexandria. He came to Ephesus. You see how the points are kind of intersecting? Going on to verse 24, he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He was eloquent. He was competent in the scriptures. All right. Let me ask a question. I mentioned Kobe. Who's the best basketball player in this church? Point them out. All right. I'm seeing some, some movements over here. Who, just throw out a name. Who's the best basketball player in this church? Nathan. All right, Nathan. All right. I don't know who Nathan is, but all right, Nathan is the best basketball player in this church. Okay. Okay. When it says he was competent in the scriptures, the word competent actually comes from this word, dunatas, which means he was mighty. He was mighty in this. He was mighty in this. So when we say, man, Nathan, that guy, Dude, that guy, he was doing a toss in basketball. He is mighty. He is mighty in basketball. Man, everyone knows. Nathan, man. Everyone knows. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Nathan. I'm embarrassing. All right. So, so, in other words, when it says this man was doing a toss in the scriptures, oh, man, this guy was mighty in the scriptures, in the handling in the reading, in the interpretation, in the handling, understanding of Scripture. Okay? Apollos was mighty in the Scriptures. But not just mighty in the Scriptures, he was eloquent and mighty in the Scriptures. In other words, he was not only mighty in the handling and the interpretation of Scriptures, he was extra skilled and mighty in the preaching and teaching of Scripture. This guy was a total package. He was eloquent and mighty in the scriptures. Man, he was a Kobe. He was, he was total package. Going on, verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He had been instructed. Okay, the word instructed there is a very important word. He was instructed. The word instructed, we get the word catechesis from. You guys ever heard that word? Right? Do you guys do catechism here? Probably not, right? No, no one does it, right? All right, so, so catechesis is a very technical word. It has to do with being uh, systematically and technically instructed in the faith. Okay, he, was, he, was, he was instructed. Not only instructed, he was extru- instructed, he was catechized in Alexandria. Oh, man. Oh, man. This guy, Apollos, the best education. He was instructed in the scriptures, systematically, technically instructed in the scriptures from Alexandria. 
The reason why he was mighty in the scripture was because he was instructed in the scriptures. He was catechized in the scriptures from Alexandria. In other words, this guy was, this guy showed up in Ephesus, he was a PhD. Man, he was a PhD from Harvard. Man, this Apollos, he was not only educated, he had the best education. Oh, man, this guy came to Ephesus, right? But not only that, going on, in verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit, being fervent. Again, Luke described this guy. Luke was intrigued by this guy. He was fervent in spirit. The word fervent here is, is also a very important word. He was, he was eloquent in speech. He was eloquent. He was mighty in the scripture. He was super educated in Alexandria. He was educated. He was instructed. He had all these things. But here, what is highlighted is he was fervent. Oh, man. Apollos was fervent. He was fervent in spirit. What this means is fervent means he was boiling hot. He was, he was burning. Okay, sometimes when I preach, this is a very well air-conditioned room. I was preaching at a church a couple weeks ago. It was kind of hot. Man, I was drenched. I was like, man, I should have brought my gym towel. And people were like running up with tissue boxes. Okay, that's not, that's not what it means when it says he was boiling hot. When it says Apollos was fervent in spirit, it means, man, his heart was burning from the scriptures. And when he preached, he burned. It was preaching on fire. In other words, uh, this, uh, this traveling evangelist back in the day, John Wesley, he once said this. You guys might have heard this quote. He said, I set myself on fire, and people come and watch me burn. Right? Not that he would, you know, set himself on fire, but the scriptures were burning in his heart. And when he preached, man, he burned. And people watched him burn. That was Apollos. He was fervent. He was boiling. He was burning. And when he preached, people watched him burn. This wasn't some cold, dry preaching. This was burning on fire. All right, so in other words, Apollos, man, he was a total package. When Apollos showed up in Ephesus and he was preaching and teaching in a synagogue, man, Apollos preaching, he grabbed the, the audience. He grabbed the congregation. People would say this after hearing Apollos preach, Man, I've never heard anyone preach like this guy before. Apollos. Man, Apollos, he was a total package. Let me give you an example of this. Remember 1 Corinthians 3. Um, if I showed up in 1 Corinthians, Corinth, uh, first, first century Corinth, no one would ever say, man, forget Paul. I follow Alex. Forget Paul. I'm going with Alex. Forget that guy. What, did they, what was happening in Corinth for, in the first century? Remember 1 Corinthians. He said, some people were saying, I follow Paul. Others were saying, I follow Apollos. Man, forget Paul. I'm going with this guy. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 12, it says, what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow, I, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Paul, Peter, these were the big guys, the big guns, Christ and Apollos. Man, Apollos must have been 
he was a total package. Do you guys see what Luke is doing? He's showing just how impressive Apollos was. Let me ask you this question. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? Anyone know? Take a shot. All right, you guys don't know? You guys are terrible. I'm just kidding. No one knows, right? The, the, the authorship of Hebrews is unknown. No one knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, people speculate. Some say Paul, but many people say Apollos. Why? They read the book of Hebrews. They don't know who wrote it, but they're like, man, this is so well written. Man, this, the doctrine, the, the theology is so rich. Man, when I read this, my heart is burning. Whoever wrote this must have been amazing. Must have been that guy, Apollos. Must have been that guy. All right? Apollos was the total right? Okay, why am I puffing up Apollos? Why is Luke spending all this time puffing up Apollos? We're going to see. Apollos was great, not just because he was gifted, but we're going to see something. What made Apollos really great? We're going to see it coming up next. We're going to see this. What made Apollos such a great teacher was that he was extremely teachable. He was a great teacher because he was teachable. Man, this dude was humble. This dude was teachable. He was teachable. Okay? He was, and we're going to see, he was gifted, but he was trained. He was trained. Look with me at verse 25. Um, it says, you know, he was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Only. Right? In other words, the baptism of John, man, that's outdated. That's outdated preaching. That's outdated teaching. He, he was preaching and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, but he only knew the baptism of John, meaning he only, he only knew what he knew up to the point, but it was outdated, right? John was an old, old covenant prophet, but Jesus came and superseded him in, all his, in his baptism and his teaching. Jesus came and fulfilled John's teaching and prophecy, right? So it was outdated, so Apollos got it right. It was just outdated, right? It wasn't complete. So look what happens next in verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, we see those two friends again, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. More accurately. Apollos was accurate, but he was outdated. Now Priscilla and Aquila came and helped him to understand it more accurately. It was accurate. Now it's more accurate. Now the interesting thing here is this. Who, were, who was Priscilla and Aquila? They were tent makers. They weren't scholars. They weren't super educated. They were tent makers, meaning they were people who were blue-collar workers. They worked with their hands. They were people who just didn't, they weren't super academic. They didn't have the degree uh, letters behind their names. They were blue-collar workers. But here, you have the blue-collar workers, you have the tent makers, you have the scholar Apollos, right? But it's, it's, it's kind of like if you have an analogy today, if you go into a university, you have the janitors, they were the people who uh, didn't go get those super big degrees. They worked with their hands, the janitors and the scholar, the professor at the school. But here in this conversation, in this conversation, it was the janitors instructing the scholar. 
to be more accurate in the faith. You guys see what's going on? Okay? We, we see two things in this passage. We see two things from this occurrence. One, brothers and sisters, we need to know our faith. We need to know our stuff. When it comes to the Christian faith, we need to know our stuff. Okay? Uh, it's not because personally Keith, they had a title like pastor, apostle. They were basic Christians. They were tent makers. They were working class people. But in that conversation about the Christian faith, they were the experts. They were the experts. Because they were talking about the Christian faith, they were Christians, basic Christians. In that conversation, they were the experts because they were the Christians. There, were, there was a lot that Priscilla and Kila didn't know. They were tent makers. Apollos can run circles around them when it comes to all these different topics and subjects because he was educated. But, but because they were basic Christians, they can instruct scholars. Brothers and sisters, that's a challenge to us. As Christians, we need to know our faith. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it. Okay? We need to know our faith because we're Christians. Right? This is a great example. Aquila, Priscilla, tent makers. They can instruct scholars because in this topic, the Christian faith, they were the experts. Brothers and sisters, we need to know our faith. We need to not only be disciples, we need to be able to make disciples. That's a challenge to us. Second, we see from, on Apollos end, we need to be humble and teachable. We need to be humble and teachable. In other words, if we want to grow, we need to be strengthened. If we want to grow, we need to be teachable. If we want to grow, we need to be teachable. Okay, Apollos here, man, what an example. He was a humble dude. He was a humble guy. He didn't say, man, you janitors, man, you tent makers, who are you? Do you know who I am? Man, get away from me. No, no, all those gifts, his eloquence, his mightiness in scriptures, his education, his ferventness, all of that would have been wasted if he was not teachable. He was not teachable. He would have stayed in his non-growth, outdated ways. But because he was teachable, even in all his giftedness, he was effective. He was made effective for the gospel ministry. Brothers and sisters, we need to know our stuff and we need to be teachable like Apollos. And, uh, and the passage ends. Verse, verse uh, if, we, if we look at the end of verse 27, uh, he, Apollos, when he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. For uh, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. He greatly helped the church. He greatly strengthened the church. Man, Apollos was so effective in his teaching. He greatly helped them because he was gifted, but he was trained. He was teachable. And I'll end with this, with this implication from this part, 24 to 28, about Apollos. Brothers and sisters, it's good when we say, man, Pastor Peter, he's a man of his word. He's a man of his word. It's good when we say to anyone, man, you are a man of your word. You are a woman of your word. That is very good. But here we see the example of Apollos, something far better. He was not just a man of his word. He was a man of the word. He was a man of the word. 
Apollos was a man of the word, not only eloquent and mighty in the scriptures, but even more, he was a man of the word because he was eager to submit himself under the authority of the word. It's not about his giftedness, about his education degrees. It's not about who's teaching. It's about what does the scripture say? And when he was instructed more accurately in the word, he eagerly submitted himself under the truth of the word. You see, he was a man of the word, and that's what made him such a great teacher. That's what made him someone who was so effective in greatly helping the church. Brothers and sisters, let's strive to be like them, right? Who, who's eager to submit ourselves under the word, right? Let's pray.